Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 3 and 4 this morning. These two chapters form one story, uh, the beginning and the end of that particular, uh, of this particular story. Um, so to separate them would be um, a problem. But uh, so just for context sake, we will journey through 3 and 4 together. You may have heard this story before, but I'll retell it again. There was a man, a man that slid over the side of a cliff On his way over, he had the presence of mind to grab a branch at the last second before he fell to his death. But as he's hanging there over the precipice, hundreds of feet off the ground, um, he screamed out in a loud voice, help me, somebody help me. A voice came out of the sky. How about that? He says, do you believe that I can help you? And the man responded, yes, I believe. Please help me. The man responded. So the voice, same voice came out of the sky again. He said, do you believe that I have the power to help you? And the man said, yes, I believe. I believe. Just please help me. Do you believe I love you enough to help you? Of course I know you love me. Please, oh, please just help me. The voice said, because you believe, I will help you. Now let go. Brief silence, and the man said, is there anybody else up there that can help me? When we look into the story of Joshua and in general just the story of our life in following Jesus, there are times where God has asked his people to do some really crazy stuff. Casting Crowns has a song out right now. I heard it about 10 times going up to East Texas on vacation this week and back. Um, It's amazing how those radio stations just keep repeating themselves. But uh, it's called Crazy People. And uh, the the, the verses are made up of just all the crazy stories we have in the Bible, like the fiery furnace or David and Goliath. Um, this is one of those where God's people are going to have to walk through the river and it's going to be dry, but, you know, it just some crazy stuff. And there are times in our life when God has called us to do something or he's calling us to something. And you might uh, kind of be like this guy uh, on the edge of the cliff holding on for dear life. And you may ask yourself and ask, looking up into the sky, is there anyone else up there that can help me? But the truth of Scripture teaches us, when God calls us to something, whatever that something might be, walking across the street to share the gospel with a neighbor or a coworker or doing something out of your comfort zone, that calling is always connected to his promises, his presence, and his power. Three, just three easy P's for you, just to remember. Presence, promise, presence, power. All of his calling, he doesn't call you to something and then just let you go and not go with you. He'd never ask you to go out on a kingdom mission and not go with you. Um, because it's not actually you, it's the Holy Spirit in you that is working and making those kingdom mission um, uh, missions possible to be successful for God's glory 
That's what he does in our life. That is his presence in our life. He indwells those who call on Jesus by faith and trust in him. He is indwelling in us to encourage us, to equip us, to empower us, to accomplish the kingdom mission that God has set before us. What is required on our part and what was required of the Israelites is faith. Faith to trust God as God moves us forward in him. So when we think about faith, we understand that faith is not a calculated risk. And by that I mean that we have all of the information before us, we're able to look at all of the options, and then we make what we think is the best decision to go. Faith is not that. Faith is not having all of the information, just the calling to go, because God has called us to go. We believe he's going with us, and he's going to pave the way. To illustrate that and to kind of help us understand where that's coming from, we'll turn your attention to Joshua chapter 3 and 4. I'm going to read the first six verses of chapter 3, and then I'm going to, we're going to jump to chapter 4 and look at the end of the story, and the rest of our time will be spent in the middle, pulling all this out this morning. So if you would stand to your feet as I read from Joshua chapter 3, verse 1. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priest, you are to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Then he said to the priest, carry the Ark of the Covenant and go on ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of them. Chapter 4, verse 19. The people came up from the Jordan on the 10th on the day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern limits of Jericho. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty, and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the... Um, the mercy that was new this morning, as is promised from your scripture. As we come into your word, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with the courage and the faith that was put on display by your ancient people as they stood on the banks of the Jordan. Father, that the church would be filled with those who are faithful and courageous to step into the dry ground where water was, the challenges before us that would lead us into deep Christian living, Christ-likeness, holiness. 
Father, that we would do so willing to face the spiritual battles that are before us, and that in doing so, walking by faith, we grow in dependence on you for the victory. Father, what we do not know this morning, teach us what we are not yet. Make us for your glory and our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Chapter 1, the people, including Joshua, are prepared to go across the Jordan. Chapter 2, some spies are sent into Jericho. We have an episode there not to skip over because it's, it has no meaning, but it has great meaning for actually she is mentioned even in the New Testament of the promise of Rahab. And then chapter 3 comes where the people, God is ready for the people to move across the Jordan and eventually to take Jericho by chapter 6. What you find here is a people group that are now called once again to walk by faith. To walk by faith as they cross the Jordan River. God had demonstrated time and again his power to this people so that they and the world would believe that he is the living and true God and that by that display of his power, they would be in awe and reverence of him, drawing the people, not only Israel, but all of the people unto himself. What we find in chapter three and chapter four as they cross the Jordan is that that river is gonna be dried up in the flood season. That's the miracle that happens. It's very similar to what happened at the Red Sea. And if we make it all about the miracle, we're gonna miss what God is doing. Sometimes that's all we see God as is the miracle worker. A cosmic Santa Claus, if you will, that where we only want the good things. We only want him to get us out of trouble when we get into it. If you listen to the, a lot of the music out today, that is a theme that you hear constantly. The miracle, the miracle, we want the miracle. Rather than the miracle, we should want God himself. That's the goal. That's why God works the miracle. Not so that you can have a miracle but rather so that you can have God himself as you have that relationship. That's the miracle of the cross and the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection is that in that, in Christ, we are able to have a relationship with God himself. And every time in that miracle, God is revealing another piece of himself to his people and to us so that in the end, he would receive glory and our faith would be strengthened and edified in him. So as the people go through on dry ground and they face Jericho and they finally see Jericho and they see the, uh, the, the walls of Jericho and the defenses of Jericho and how strategic it was in its location and how very few ever tried to conquer that city because it was such an impressive uh, uh, array of, of building and, and defense for the time. And as they would see that, they would remember, wait a minute, we just walked through on dry ground in the Jordan River. Because like, like, what God's going to call them to do to walk around the, march around the city for a week is, is crazy. But they're going to remember it because their faith will be strengthened. Joshua is teaching us as we work through that book, reading this, Joshua is teaching us the, the certainty, the surety, and the victory of faith in God as he 
is putting himself on display, that his glory is on display for us to see, for his people to continue to trust and obey him. When you think about what we are doing and and who we are as followers of Jesus, we are not the ones who overcome this world, but rather it is Christ who has overcome this world. He is the one who makes us, the church, overcomers. He is the one in Christ who makes us more than conquerors. And the, the, the seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation, they all end the same way, to him who overcomes, to the one who overcomes. Well, the one who overcomes is the one who stays in Christ. And that's where Joshua is taking us, the surety of the victory of faith, as long as we keep our eyes focused on him. And it takes us into this place of deep conviction and deep trust that God is leading the church forward and that how he's leading is what is best. It was Moses. It's what Moses would say as the people stand on the Jordan, the banks of the Jordan. It's what Moses would say about this journey in Deuteronomy chapter six that's about to take place when he would tell the, Egyptian, uh, the, the Israelites that God brought us from there, that is Egypt, in order to lead us in to the promised land. It's that out of and in to. The journey didn't stop when they left Egypt. We've passed that now, right? They've made it across the Red Sea. They've wandered for 40 years because of their disobedience of the previous generation, but now this generation has a fresh start. God continued to deliver them. God continued to provide for them, lead them beyond where they were. So often, you and I get stuck in our life following Jesus, right? We may be hanging on with all of our strength, asking for someone to help, looking only for salvation, and then when it's there, you're like, well, good, we're done. But there's so much more to this life of following Jesus. So much more. Salvation is only the beginning of following Jesus. It's not all there is. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity. We go on into maturity. It's not that we ever, we just move past the gospel, like, okay, I don't need that anymore. Friend, you need the gospel every single day. But we go deeper into it, deeper into our understanding, deeper into the application into our life of his grace and his mercy each and every day as we live that out. And we do so just as Israel did in and through faith. Here is Israel on the eastern side of the Jordan. They could have said, let's go back where it's safe. Because the journey of crossing through the Jordan is not an easy one. And it's not like once they cross over, they're done. Jericho is waiting. They already know. There's spies have been there. They've, already, they've come back. They've got it set up. They've asked for the safety of Rahab. Like all of these things are, are in place. It's not going to be easy once they cross over. There are formidable people groups that are going to stand against them. And yet even as they hear of Israel coming and how God delivered them through the Jordan, their hearts, the people's hearts will break. Their wills will bend to the God of Israel. And they begin to weep because they know Israel is coming. Not just Israel, but the God of Israel is going before them. So the question of Israel is, what will we do? Sitting there on the banks of the Jordan during that flood season, when that river is so much wider than normal, and it's a constant flow. It's not just here one day and gone the next, but it, it, it's over a period of time. 
And way over on the other side is the land you've been waiting for. You've heard about it all your life. You've heard about it from your, your grandpappy and your, and your grandmom. And, and you've heard about it from your mom and dad. And, and there on the other side is it's all you've been waiting for. But you see this huge river in front of you. It is, how are we going to cross over there, Joshua? What, what's the plan? Well, Joshua received his orders from God just like Moses did. And Joshua would have to obey just like Moses obeyed. Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us of the great results of faith. The results of great faith depend on the great God to make it happen. It's not that our faith is what makes it happen. It is the great God that makes it happen. We simply trust him to make it happen. Those who are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 like Abraham and Sarah and Moses. Joshua is mentioned only by the event around Jericho. But still, he is the one leading. They didn't sit by in their warm, fuzzy feelings of faith. But they took action based on what God had promised. That Their faith led them to act as God had led them. James chapter 2, verse 26 says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. What you see here is great faith on the part of Joshua and the leadership that is around him and eventually down to the people. You see God working in all his power and in his presence. And there's a great unity amongst the people as they get ready and they see the priests take off toward the water. Joshua has prepared the people. They are prepared and so the leadership goes throughout the camp calling them to consecration, which means to take, they take time to set themselves apart for the Lord, cleaning up the camp, if you will, getting, getting ready, getting ready for the serious work of God in your presence. Friend, spiritual preparation and spiritual warfare are so much more important for Israel and Joshua right now than military preparation and hand-to-hand combat will ever be. And it's the same for you and me. Today, if we will prepare ourselves each and every day by spending time with the Lord, spending time in his word, that is so much more productive than anything else you can do in your day to get yourself ready for what you are going to face. God's presence was a key for Joshua and for the people. And it's marked, symbolized, if you will, by the Ark of the Covenant. The ark was to take the lead with the priest carrying it along. No one was to get ahead of it. Why? Because they didn't know the way. They'd never been there before. But God's presence was going to go. You don't get ahead of God. You follow God. That's how it is when we're following Jesus. We don't want to get ahead of him. We're simply following. But when the priests start moving, they're told, you need to be ready to go. So get ready, consecrate yourselves. As the ark goes before the people, their faith is going to be strengthened. Why? Because they're going to see those waters part. It marks God's presence that he is going before them. Friend, you've got to take that step of faith. As Indiana Jones is going to find the Holy Grail, and I've referenced that movie not too long ago, but as he's going to find that Holy Grail, there is a moment where he comes to a great chasm, canyon, if you will, and in his little book, in his little guide, it's marked that he's got to take a step of faith. He's got to believe that there is something there that's going to catch him when he takes that step off the ledge. <laughs> and he does, right? 
He gets his foot, he sticks, it's kind of funny looking, he sticks his foot way out there. Now, I'm not going down there. I know there's a step there, but I don't need knee surgery right now. But he does. He steps out, and then he goes across. He can see the pathway, right? You remember he grabs some sand, and he tosses it back across so that those who are coming behind him can find it and know it's there. The only way that you and I will discover that God is faithful is by taking those steps of faith that are based on his promises in his presence, knowing trusting that he's got the power to make it happen. So the question is, are you living by faith or by sight? If those priests had never picked up the ark and stepped into the Jordan when the waters began to part, what would have happened? Well, I tell you, they would have spent another 40 years wandering in the desert again, probably. Speculation, but I don't think God would have let them cross over for their disobedience, just like the previous generation. In verse 5, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Get ready. God is going to work. He's going to do amazing things, work wonders in your midst. Friends, for them, it was a splitting of the Red Sea. For us, beloved, it's when a lost one comes home, when someone believes the gospel and puts their trust in Christ, when when a lost man is saved, when a dead man in his sin is, is transformed to life with Christ. That's the miracle we long for today. That's what we want to see. That's how we know God is in our midst. And when God is using that to transform lives so that now we get to disciple, that's what we are called to as the church, to make disciples. As we go, make disciples, baptize, teach, all in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That as we go, are we being faithful to that? Are we living by faith in that calling? The second thing we ought to be doing is what we call the great commandment, right? We're loving God with all that we are. The second one, love others. Are we living those out by faith? God can do amazing things through a church who will surrender herself and trust him to do those amazing things. Joshua is doing exactly what God had said in verse 9. He tells the Israelites, come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Verse 10, you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly dispossess before you all of the people groups that are listed there. Verse 11, when the ark of the covenant of the Lord of the whole earth goes ahead of you into the Jordan. Here is the sign. When you know that God is with you, the priest's foot hit the water, everything's gone. The water is going to back up. It's like a little mini Red Sea moment here. Very, very close in relationship to how this all happens. Friends, this is exactly what Christ has done for you. The cross and the resurrection. The resurrection is how we know it's true. All of the witnesses that saw Jesus after the resurrection attest to the fact that he came back to life. That is our sign. That is how we know that this word is true. That is why we stake our faith and our trust in him. That is why, like Israel does in verse 14, that we will rise up today, church, and say, we will walk by faith. And tomorrow we will wake up and we will say, if the Lord gives us tomorrow, we will walk by faith. I would love to make it to Israel one day to see the Jordan River and to see all that it is, because I've heard so much about it in my life. But at this moment, we understand that Jordan is wider than normal. It's flood season. It happens in the time of harvest, the Bible says. But what God does is he stops up this river some 15 miles north of where they were crossing and all of its tributaries. And even down to the south, the water stops flowing into the Dead Sea. Can you imagine 
the number of people that are now about to cross through the Jordan. Listen, the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. With Israel comes the presence of God into this promised land. The peoples of the land of Canaan needed to know. They needed to know the God of Israel. That's, their per- that's the whole purpose of what's happening, that they too would know the God of Israel. We carry that same good news and have those same beautiful feet as we walk out the doors this morning into our mission field known as Rockport, Fulton, Aransas, Pass, Ingleside, wherever you call home. We walk out with beautiful feet as we st- keep in step with the Spirit of God, walking with the Lord, walking by faith. And we remember that this is for his glory and our good. This walk of faith in Christ is transformational. Can you imagine how the Israelites must have felt when they walked through the Jordan River on dry ground, having just seen the thing swollen over its banks? Now it's dry. How that would have transformed a heart and encouraged and strengthened their resolve to believe God. We have the challenge in the New Testament to not stay as infants in Christ, but go on into spiritual maturity. Not the maturity that I found out I apparently have now this week while I was on vacation. I will say this, twice this week, my wife was questioned whether or not all these kids were her grandchildren. I got that question once. Apparently, I've arrived at the age where I look like I'm a grandparent. I'm trying to figure that one out. But that's not the maturity we're called into. I look forward to those days, but I'm like, come on, man, not yet. Come on, not yet. Friends, when it's spiritual maturity, you're either moving forward in faith or backward in unbelief. There's no middle ground, right? We don't want to be wishy-washy. We don't want to be double-minded. That causes confusion, and, and you're not going to grow like that. You're not going to grow in Christ's likeness like that. And it's exactly what Jesus told the church in Laodicea, if you'll remember, one of those seven churches in the book of Revelation, when he said, oh, that you would be hot or cold. Hot meaning that healing relief that was found in those warm springs, or cold as in the refreshing nature of a cold cup of water, but not lukewarm where the two mix and make an awful mixture that will make you sick when you drink it. Friend, God says move. When he says go, he means it. And he's not just saying like an armchair quarterback, you better go and never go with you. His promise is always to be with you. Now, what happens when the nation of people, uh, the group of people cross over? As they're crossing over, that's chapter four, and the end of chapter three and into chapter four, God calls Joshua now to set up a memorial, a time to remember God's grace, a time to remember when God came through. The natural response when we see God at work is to worship. At least that's the biblical response. For some folks, it may not have a lasting impact on their heart. There will be a group of folks after the victory of Jericho that will venture off and do their own thing and get into uh, some trouble for it. But for others who are looking for God at work and how he's at work, when they see it, it's transformational. It begins to change your heart and make you more like Christ. Chapter four, we'll continue that story and we'll pick up in verse one. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke again to Joshua. 
Choose 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, take 12 stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing, carry them with you, and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned the 12 men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe, and he said to them, go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift a stone onto his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes so that this will be a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them the water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's covenant when it crossed the Jordan. The Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. God has instructed a memorial. 12 men from each of the 12 tribes, one from each tribe, Each one pick up a stone and carry it to erect a memorial of stones that will represent God and that will be a symbol or a memorial for what God had done for them. Excuse me, I shouldn't say it represented God. It represented what he did for them. It serves as a memorial. We have a memorial. We have the Lord's Supper. We have baptism. More on that in just a moment. But they did exactly what Joshua said to do, which is what God said to do. Now, Joshua had also set up 12 stones in the river. It's a little bit unclear whether the 12 stones that were picked up to carry on to Gilgal or the 12 stones that were already set up in the river by Joshua. Could be either way. It doesn't really matter. There's the faithfulness of the men picking up the stones, carrying them on to Gilgal. But what we find here in the memorial is a use of a symbol. Symbols mean something. Right? If, if I showed you a whole series of symbols up here, I could show you the, the swoosh that would remind you of Nike. Uh, you could see the flag, right? That's one of our symbols as Americans. We love our flag or the Texas flag, the Lone Star, right? It, it brings out feelings of pride. And, and, and so we, we have symbols that uh, are important to us. There are symbols in the church history Uh, that are important. Historically, the church has used symbols to remind us of God's love and his care, his concern of his grace uh, and his mercy for us. The most common is that little fish you see on the car in front of you that just cut you off. (laughs) Yeah, Um, please. Side note, if you got Jesus stickers on your car, don't drive like, okay, just, okay, thank you. Drive as a witness, all right, but it's the ichthus, right? You've seen that little Jesus symbol. The ichthus is based on a Greek acronym for this phrase, Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. In the Greek of that phrase, the first letter of each word spells ichthus, which means fish, I-C-T-H-U-S. So it's well-known documented that early on under that Roman persecution, the church used that symbol as an identifier of who brothers and sisters were in Christ, who's a part of the church. That's how they were able to know one another. There's other evidence in the early church history that the anchor was used as a symbol of hope for the church based out of Hebrews chapter six, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That, That hope is the word of God and the fact that God never lies, that God always keeps his word. So symbols are useful. Now, what happens is, because we are all prone to wonder, prone to stray, 
prone to make gods out of things that are not gods is that sometimes those symbols become an idol, something that we worship rather than the, the God or the, that acted on our behalf. That would happen for Israel with these stones, these very stones that are raised at Gilgal. That's later on in the story, but that will happen, that they, they will come back to this place and there will be some sacrifices made to a God that is not the God of Israel. I like the, what Warren Wiersbe said about this. He said, there is nothing wrong with memorials, provided they don't become religious idols that turn our hearts from God, and provided that they don't so link us to the past that we fail to serve God in the present. Glorifying the past is a good way to petrify the present and rob the church of power. I've seen this in churches where we idolize the past so much that the past becomes God. And we are so stuck in what happened then, we can't see what God wants to do tomorrow and where he's leading us. The next generations need reminders of what God has done, but those reminders only serve to strengthen our faith today and for the next generation tomorrow. We are reminded as a church of God's grace, and we are reminded when we are, we are to celebrate and worship our God. The two things that God, I've already mentioned, that God has provided for the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. When we go into the waters of baptism, whether they be here or at the beach again someday, we understand that that is a way that we get to celebrate what God is doing in someone's life, that someone has responded by faith to trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation of their soul and forgiveness of their sins, that that is a new believer that is telling the world, I, I identify with Christ Jesus as they are buried to themselves, dying to themselves, and raised to new life in Christ. It is symbolic of, of what has happened in the heart. That is a memorial event where we get to remember not only what Christ has done, but perhaps even our own baptism as a spiritual marker, a memorial time that, that, that we remember God certainly acted in that moment when I was saved. Now, the other one that we said was the Lord's Supper. We observed that last week as we come to the table, a table to which we are not, we have no claim to. We have no invitation, really. We're there and we don't deserve to be there, but really we do have an invitation. The invitation is at the cross and the resurrection and through Christ, we are invited for that fellowship around the Lord's Supper table as we take the bread, a memorial of the, the body of Christ upon the cross. And as we drink from the cup of the new covenant, a memorial of the blood that was shed for us to cleanse us from our sin. We are reminded that as we look back that God acted on our behalf, we praise him for that, we celebrate him for that. And we look forward to what he's going to do, the return of our king. Friends, I want to urge you that we not do what Israel did and turn things of the past into our God, but that we always look forward, that we keep our focus in the Lord. We keep our eyes on the Lord. We keep our eyes on his calling to what we must do as the church, that we walk in faith and not in fear, 
We are in a hard economic time. Some of you may have experienced harder times in the 70s. I was just a baby then. Uh, I was making my grandparents' grandparents, if you know what I mean. But this is a difficult time. Money's getting tight. It may have been tight for a while for some of you. But money's not our God. A budget is just a budget. It's not our God. The past is not our God. Our God is calling us forward. And you and I commit to keep our eyes on him, on the gospel call to make disciples, to teach, to evangelize, to help others grow in Christ-likeness as we ourselves seek to grow in Christ-likeness. We remember to get our feet wet as we walk through on dry ground and we walk in faith. Here's why. Look at verse 24. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. Friends, Rockport, Fulton, Aransas Pass, Ingleside, Lamar, Holiday Beach, all points in between need to know. They need to know of the Lord our God. Who will tell them unless our beautiful feet go and share and tell them of the glorious God that we love and sing and worship about every Sunday morning. The purpose of God moving his people forward to fulfill his promise is that God alone gets the glory. That is our aim. We want God to be glorified, that he is at work in the church to make his name known. We take on that deep conviction, yes, Lord, we wait for you in the path of your judgments. Your name, your name, your renown is the desire of our hearts. So we say, yes, Lord, you have called us to make disciples. We will make disciples. Yes, Lord, we will proclaim your name to the nations as well as across the street. Yes, Lord, we will remember your gracious act upon the cross for our sins and the power of the resurrection. And then we will say and sing and worship with old St. Paul when he said to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen.